Well, like I said, we're in week two of Welcome Home. Uh, last week, Pastor Jerry kind of laid out the, the idea of this series, and we're talking about the prodigal son. We're talking about the prodigal and the, and, and the definition, kind of the go-to definition that we're, that, that we're using for prodigal is lacking restraint. And so here's this kid that lacked restraint, and he took off, and he did his own thing, and he ran away. And so last week, we talked about why do we leave home? Why do so many people get connected to God, become a believer, and and get dialed into the church, get connected to what God's doing, but yet then they end up leaving home? And for a lot of us, it's slow. It's one thing after another, and it just slowly gets there. And, And last week, we determined that it's because the soul is ultimately stronger than the spirit. That whenever we get saved, in that moment, there is instantaneous, there is a finished work of grace in our spirit, and we're immediately made new, but the soul... It's more of a progressive work of grace, and it takes time. And if you think about the prodigal son, he was covered in dirt and grime and pig slop. And, and so whenever he came home, it wasn't immediate that all of the outside stuff, the mind, the will, the emotions were cleaned up. And so, so many of us, we allow the soul to continue being stronger than the spirit, and that's why we end up turning our back on God, or that's why portions of our life end up outside the Father's house. So last week we talked about why do we leave. This week I want to talk about how do we come home. How do we come home? One of my favorite painters um, is a painter by the name of Rembrandt. Most of us know of him, have heard of him. Um, Just an amazing artist from the 1600s. And, and he grew up in a Christian home. He grew up in a very religious home. And so a lot of the works of art that he painted, and they're masterpieces, they're beautiful. A lot of them revolve around stories or characters from the Bible, from the Old Testament or from the New Testament. It's quite fascinating, but there's one particular painting that stands above the rest, and it's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And listen, let me show you this picture. He, he, he painted this in 1669, and it's a beautiful, beautiful painting. I wish, it's in St. Petersburg, Russia, I wish that I could sit and just look and gaze upon this painting. It's actually much larger than this. It's eight feet tall by six feet wide. It's this massive work that was painted on canvas with oil. And, and I wish that you could see the depth in it. Even on video, it just doesn't, you don't quite see how much depth there is in this picture. And if you can see right here, here's the older brother who's, who's kind of peeking around a corner and he's disapproving and he's not cool. And you got a couple dignitaries that are watching this. And then here's the dad and here's the son. And what's interesting about the way he portrays this and And it's also interesting because Rembrandt painted this or drew this picture multiple times in his life. I mean, it was like this was a story that resonated with his soul that he kept coming back to over and over and over again. Actually, there's one painting that he paints um, while the prodigal is out doing his wild living. And he actually painted himself as the the prodigal. It was a self-portrait of himself in that place. And at the very end of his life, two years before his death, he painted this. And I want you to look at the, at the younger son, the lost son, and his raggedy clothes and his shaved head. And he's, he, he's got one shoe or one sandal and, and, and one shoe's missing. And his clothes are falling off of him. He's malnourished. He's just skin and bones. There's nothing to him. And then he runs and all of that. And the father embraces him. And he holds him close even with what looks like some very disapproving dignitaries or wealthy people looking on, the father embraces the son. And this is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this embrace. 
I want to talk about what it's like and how do we get home to this, to the embrace of the Father. We've been in Luke 15, which is where the story takes place. I'm going to read the first couple verses to you. In verse 11, it says this. It says, Jesus continue. He's telling this story. He's telling multiple stories, and he keeps going, and he walks right into the prodigal son story. He says, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So the dad had to go sell things. He had to go get rid of assets. He had to go get rid of all this stuff so that he could give his son this money. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He raked all this stuff together, and he set out for the distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now here's what I want us to understand today is that the distant country and a lot of our Christian kind of mindsets, we think the distant country is when we fully rebel and we go just crazy, right? And all of a sudden, just life gets turned upside down and you're running away from God. But here's what I want to talk about today because I don't necessarily think that's all that there is to it. Because I think that the distant country is any area of our life that we are trying to live independently of the Father, The distant country is any area of your life that you say, I got this. It's any portion, it's any section, it's any, you know, we're so good at compartmentalizing life. We're so good at saying, you know what, God, yeah, I'm going to give you the Sunday morning portion of my life. But, you know, the way I handle my money, the way I handle my family, the way that I do business, the way that I, you know, this little pornography thing that I got going on over here on the side. No, no, you can't touch any of that. But listen, I'm going to give you my Sunday morning self. Man, I'm going to sing. Bro, when they hit that big old note, I'm going to be in it. I'm going to be right there. I'm going to be worshiping. It's going to be on. But whenever I walk out of here, I'm going to jump into my little compartment. And Jesus, listen, I got this. I got this, man. And so prodigal living is this, the distant country is anything in our lives where we say, you know what, God, I got this. Where we live independently from the Father. Where we live independently from what he wants in our life. We're so good at it. Let's continue on in Luke 15, verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. Now listen, he's broke. He's got nothing. There's a severe famine and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs, which... As a good Jewish boy, this would have been the ultimate disgrace. Not only would him have gone of going to his father and disowning him and saying, give me everything, but then to take it one step further. And I love whenever you put yourself in the context of Jesus actually telling this story to religious leaders and Pharisees and Jews all around, and he's telling this kind of story, like we don't fully understand the context. But in this sense, I mean, Jesus is wrecking their worlds. Their eyes are rolling. They're doing this number like, this is ridiculous. Nobody would ever be that stupid. Nobody would ever do that. This is absolutely absurd. So not only that, he goes to the fields to feed the pigs, but Jesus says, I don't think I pushed it far enough. Let me push it one step further. The very next verse says this. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him any. He would have eaten them, but no one gave him any. So he gets to the point where he's literally drooling over the food that the pigs are eating. So you see how far Jesus is pushing this. And the very next verse says this in verse 17, when he came to his senses, it was in this place that 
that he came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am. I'm starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. He got up and he went to his father. Several months ago, um, middle of the night, probably 2, 3 o'clock in the morning when it's just as quiet as it could possibly be, it's as dark as it could possibly be, the smoke alarm went off. You ever had that happen? And not only did the smoke alarm went off, but I swear someone took it off the wall and put it underneath my pillow. And I wasn't sure freight train. I wasn't sure alien invasion. I wasn't really sure what was happening. But you know when you're dead asleep and that thing goes off and you wake up and you're discombobulated and you're just like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And like the ninja moves start coming out and you're just like, I'm ready for anything, right? And you're just like, you're freaking out. It's a rude awakening. And go back to that verse. This is what happens when it says that he came to his senses. Listen, he was in the worst possible place, but all of a sudden the alarm went off and he realized, what in the world am I doing here? It was a rude awakening. It was, a, it was this moment where all of a sudden he saw clearly what was really happening in his life. He came to his senses. He woke up. And what he does from that moment forward is his return home. But it started with that. It started with this revelation. It started with this realization. It started with a crisis. I mean, so many of our return homes begin with a crisis. It begins with a problem. It begins with a pig slop. Where we look and we go, it cannot get any worse. We've hit rock bottom. We've fallen off the wagon. Everything is coming apart. But what he does next is the most important thing. And to me, it is the most vital step to coming home. And I also think it's one of the most difficult things that we can do. And it can be summed up in one word. His journey home can be summed up in one word, and that word is honesty. Honesty. From that moment, man, when he woke up and he realized exactly where he was, he got real honest. And I'm not talking about our version of honesty. I'm not talking about the Americanized version of honesty. We all know how jacked up that is, right? But I'm talking about 100% honesty because... A lot of us know and are familiar with 95% honesty. But the most important honesty is the last 5%. Some of us, it's, it's pretty easy to give 90, 95% honesty to the people we love, to God. You know, it's, it's, it's somewhat easy to do that. But that last 5% that you just want to hold on to, that's what's most vital for you to begin to come home. So from this moment on, whenever we read this scripture, we see that the, that the lost son was honest with three people. And so this is where I want to spend our time, is how do we come home we get honest? And we get honest with three people. And the first one is this, is he got honest with himself. The son got honest with himself. He looked inside, and in verse 15, it says this. It says, he said to himself. He literally turned and talked to himself. He's in a field with pigs, guys. Who else is he going to talk to? And he's in that moment. He realizes what's going on. He's looking at this food. He's like, man, that's actually looking pretty good. The bell goes off. The alarm goes off. And immediately he says to himself, he gets real with himself. He calls himself on the carpet. He quits justifying the living that he's been doing. 
He quits justifying this compartment that he's been holding off for himself. He quits justifying, well, I mean, I, you know, I do that because it's, you know, and, I, and if, I, if I do this, if I do that, and, and all this justifying that we do to make it okay that we live that way or that we have that compartment. He immediately said, no, this is where I am. A few weeks ago, uh, my daughter Bella and I, we were in New York, and, um, and we, we, one of the days that we were there, we went down to the subway. If you've ever, ever been to New York and you look at the subway map and you just go, oh, I'm from Alabama, bro. <laughs> what? Right? And I'm standing there looking at this map and there's trains going everywhere. And I'm fairly familiar with New York. But still, you look at that map, you're a little intimidated. New Yorkers are walking by and you want to look like you fit in. So you want to look like you're confident. You're like, yeah, man, if I take that over there. You know, or whatever. You know, you like try to. But the whole time I'm looking at it, I'm like, I have no idea where the heck I am. No idea. But I know where I want to go. And I could look at this map and I could say, I know where I want to go. But the thing that that map was missing is like, you know, in the malls, how they had that big arrow that says, you are here. They had that massive arrow that just makes it really easy that, yeah, okay, I got it. The problem is I didn't have that arrow. I knew where I wanted to go. I knew I wanted to go uptown. I knew I wanted to go over here and I wanted to go to this subway stop. But I could not figure out where I was. I was in unfamiliar territory. The key with being honest with yourself is nailing exactly where you are. Bringing it into the light, calling it what it is, naming what it is and saying, this is the problem. This is the area. This is the thing that I keep to myself. This is the thing that I think that I can handle on my own. Immediately, this is what the son did. He pulled this thing out. And I wonder for you, I wonder for you how many the, the, the critical spirit that you've got, the, the, the meanness, the, the harshness with your words, the things that you say, or, or maybe it is that pornography or that lust, or maybe it is the, the way you spend money or the way you gamble or the, way you, or the way you use substances, whatever those things are. I wonder what would happen if you were gut honest with yourself. You didn't justify it. You didn't brush it under a rug or under something else in your life and just think that it's okay. But you actually came 100% clean about it. And then I think there's some of you guys that, some of us here that are just so far away. That to come clean, to come to this realization that you just think, man, I'm just too far away. I have fully walked away. I'm just too far away. But step one is to be honest with yourself. To bring it into the light, kicking and screaming. Call it by name. And then the second one is to be honest with the Father. Because I don't believe you can be fully honest with the Father until you're honest with yourself. Until you understand completely what's going on in your own heart. In verse 18, it says this, The Son says, I will set out and I will go back to my Father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. He goes back to his dad, and he's, he's planning. He's, he's, this is exactly what I'm going to say. I'm going to go back to him. I'll be honest. This is what happened. You know, I think about with my, with my daughter, my 10-year-old daughter. Um, you know, we, we, we try to keep devices and those sort of things at a, at a limit. You know, we try not to let them go crazy with their devices. But one of the most amazing things about having eye devices and all this kind of stuff is that when they get punished, you can take them away. And it's like the most successful form of discipline. Right? And so anytime I, I, you know, my daughter, I take her iPod away and I'm like, nope, it's gone for like seven years. It's gone. 
right? And then I, I, I come into her room a little bit later on, and she's got that weird look on her face, and there's this ominous glow coming out from behind her back. And I'm like, child, did you find your phone? She's like, no, daddy, I didn't. I said, child, I know everything, and I will always know everything. You have one chance to give me the truth. Go. Nah, daddy. Mm-mm. I ain't got it. Mm-mm. I'm like, child, I see the glow coming out from behind your back. I know everything, right? And I wonder so often is if that's how we are with God. It's like we don't realize that God is here, but he's also behind us. And we think that it's okay, we, and we think that we can get away with it by hiding this compartment, by hiding this area of our life behind our back and going, nah, God, you got it all. I, I gave it all to you. And you're like, listen, God knows what's behind your back. And not only that, but God's already died for the thing that's behind your back. I mean, he knew it before time began. And so he already died for it. But yet we hold it back and we go, no, nah, there's too much shame. There's too much guilt. Like he'll never understand. He'll never accept me. He'll never take me back. But all he wants is he wants for you to bring it out in the light and bring it to him. Be you. Be open. Be honest. And bring everything before him. You know, a lot of times we're good about, again, bringing 95% to him. But man, the ugly, ugly, ugly we want to keep to ourselves. And that's exactly what he needs. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, if we bring 100% to him, then he will, he will be faithful and just to forgive them, every single one of them. One of my favorite stories in the Bible about honesty with God is maybe not one that you would expect because it's not even, it doesn't even revolve around a sin. And I think what it demonstrates is, is God doesn't only want to know the big things. God doesn't only want to know these massive sins where you've just completely gone off the reservation, you've completely gone, gone haywire, and you've done this just, just this ridiculous thing, but yet God wants to know everything. And it's the story of, of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like I said, it's not a sin. But in Matthew 26, Matthew records that Jesus prayed a prayer three times. Which tells me something. If I see something repeated like that, or especially if it's Jesus, guess what? There's some emphasis there. Okay, he's not just breezing by this. He's not just, he's just, it's not just like part of the, he's just piecing on by. No, no, he parks here. And he comes back to this prayer several times. But he prays this, he, said, he prays, Lord, God, if possible, let this cup pass from me. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to die for us. But he says, if there's any other way, can it be a different way? If there's any other way for this to happen, please let it happen. But then he says, but it's not about my will. He says, it's not about my desire. It's about your desire. What Jesus did is he brought his desire that did not align with the will of God. You realize that? He literally came to God before and he said, I got this thought. I got this feeling. I've got this desire. God, listen, I would like to do this a different way. But if you tell me no then I'm going to follow you 100%. And what I think Jesus is showing us here is that God wants to know our desires. 
God wants to know our fears. God wants to know our worries. God wants to know when we look at an impossible situation and go, God, hey, look, man, I will do that. I will talk to that person. I will, I, I, I will walk over to a stranger and pray for them. I will do whatever that thing is. But look, my desire is I'm terrified right now. But whatever your will, whatever you want is what I'm going to do. Jesus brought him everything. He laid everything out before God. And, what, and also what I think my opinion is, he wasn't worried about the nails and the cross and the thorns and all that stuff. Jesus was mostly worried about being separated from God. Jesus was worried about those few days that he would be outside the father's house. Those few days that the father had to turn his back on his son. And Jesus said, look, man, I don't, I don't want that. If there's any other way, God, if there's any other way, then please, let's do this a different way. But if not, it's not about what I want. It's not about my will. It's not about my desire. It's about what you want. Jesus laid everything before God. And so often shame or whatever the guilt, whatever these things are, they keep us from just going, God, I got some weird thoughts going on in my head right now. I don't know why in the world I keep... Every time I see this person, I'm thinking this way. Or every time I'm in this situation, for whatever reason, God, my natural tendency is to go toward, toward the negative or, or, it's, or it's to cheat or it's to do something wrong instead of going toward the good. God, help me with this because this is my desire. I want to be living in your desire. I want to be living according to your will. You know, I, I, I used to tell students way back in the day whenever I was a youth pastor, I used to tell students this. I would say, I would tell them, I'd say, God is big enough for your questions. God is big enough for your doubts. God is big enough for your fears. And really, God is big enough for your anger. What so many of us do is we take those things, instead of directing them straight to God, is we take them away from God and we go to somebody else or something else. Or we let them eat us from the inside out. Instead of just taking them to God, I used to tell kids, man, yell at him if you got to. If you got to go get in the woods somewhere and just say, God, I don't understand this, make sense of this, but at least take it to him. Man up, look him in the eye. Tell him what's going on on the inside. Tell him what you're afraid of. Tell him what this evil desire is that's eating you from the inside out. Man, look him in the eye and say, God, I don't get this, but I have a desire to go this way, and you're telling me to go that way. I need help with that way. But we've got to go to him and be 100% honest. We got to go to him. Number one, we got to be honest with ourselves. Number two, we got to be honest with God. And most of us think that that's enough. We think that that's enough. We think, man, that's salvation. That's the way this whole thing works, man. You, 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 just, you just go to God, you give him everything, and then, man, church is going to be good next Sunday. It's all, it's good. Here we go. But there is a third part of this that the son is willing to be honest with. And that's the n- number three is honest with others. Honest with others. In the, in the, in the verse, uh, let me find it real quick. He got it up there. Go, go into that next verse. He says this. He says, make me like one of your hired servants. Now understand in this culture what this means is when he returns, he's willing to be a son that works with the common people. He's willing to go and work the field with the guys that he used to boss around, that he used to tell what to do. They would know all of his dirty laundry. They would know exactly what he did to father. They would know exactly what happened. And yet he said, man, I'm willing to be fully in my shame right there among those people. I'm, I, I want them to know. I'm okay if they know. I'm okay if they fully know everything that I did. And right then he said, I'm okay. I want to be honest with others. I want to be honest with the other people in my life. 
This is often the most difficult place for us to embrace total honesty, the last 5%. However, it has the potential to be the most powerful. Let me say that again. It has the potential to be the most powerful honesty in your life. James 5.16 says this, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That you may be healed. Honesty with God, let me say it this way, honesty with God about your sins brings forgiveness. Honesty with others brings healing. Honesty with God about our sins brings forgiveness. But the next step of that is honesty with others brings healing. Go back to James 5. James 5 says this. It says, let's read it one more time. Throw it up there. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Why? Because whenever we come with other believers and we're around other people and there's honesty, then that's the only way that we break the cycle of the struggle that we're dealing with. It's the only way that we get through that is through accountability, it's through prayer, it's through that circle, it's through our small group, it's through our campus pastor, it's through our spouse, it's through the loved ones in our life that we trust enough to say, here's the last 5%. I've been holding this thing back, but I need your help to find the healing that God promises me, to get me into that place of healing, to get me into that place of fullness with God. It's the practice of confessing to the people around us that love us so much. And this word trespass, I think it's a very key word that James uses here. And in the Greek, it's paraptoma. You don't need to know that, but let let me show you what it means real quick. Throw the two meanings up there. It means this, the two meanings are to fall beside or near something. Now listen, I think James is telling us something here. Very specific. To fall beside or near, it's, it's, it's just off. Okay, here's the path, it's just off. It's just next to. The second one is a lapse or deviation from truth or uprightness. So listen, it's just, it's just barely missing the mark. Okay, so often we think that, that the sin we got to confess is the one that's, that's way over there. If this is the mark, it's the sin that's 20 feet that way. It's this massive boulder that wrecks your world. But what James is saying is, no, 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 every, every fault, every, every failure, every mistake, every, every, just every deviation, every, every wrong thought, everything, just go to a brother or sister and say, I don't know why, but I'm thinking this way. Hey, I don't know why, but there's a fear that's starting to well up inside of me. I don't know why, but, 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 but I'm starting to think a way that is different than what the Word says. Help me with this. He says, listen, confess every deviation from the truth, no matter how much it misses the mark. And guess what? This is relationship. This is whenever we come together as the body of Christ and we begin to help each other get to the Father's house. We get to help each other get to that fully alive life that we talk about around here. Right? It's how we do it. It's together. It's all of us together. It's not from a pulpit. You becoming fully alive is not from a sermon, a 35-minute sermon every week. That's not how you get to being fully alive. You get to being fully alive when you're in a circle of believers, when you're around people that love you and care for you, that want to keep you accountable, that want to help you see the straight and narrow, that want to help you stay on the path. That's how we get to a fully alive life. When you look inside and you go, man, something is off. Hey, come here, campus pastor. Come here, my brother. Come here, come here, people that love me and care for me and, and help me get back on the path. And this is what James is telling us, that this is a vital part of our Christian walk. Forgiveness of our sin comes from confession to God. But our healing comes whenever we confess to the people around us. 
the people that love us. If you won't confess the little things, you'll never confess the big things. If this doesn't just become part of your life that you confess these little deviations, these little thoughts, whether you today are fully outside the Father's house or whether it's just a compartment or a part of your life, or maybe you walked in this place and there's a charade, there's an act, man, you've been putting on an act for a long time and slowly your wife's starting to figure it out, slowly your husband's starting to figure it out, slowly your small group's figuring it out, slowly your kids are figuring it out. And you can't keep it up any longer, man. It's about to just crumble. It's about to fall apart. And he's looking at you and he's going, hey, why don't you go ahead and confess that? Why don't we move beyond that? Why don't we move into the Father's house and fully embrace what he has for you? You know, in Luke 15, to go back to the very first part of that, whenever the the prodigal came to his senses, there was an alarm that was going off. The thing that woke him up was that he was staring at pig slop and he was hungry and he was thinking about eating it. But, you know, the, the prodigal, the son, the lost son, he had, he had blown through multiple alarms to get to that alarm. The alarm had been going off for a very long time. He just didn't hear it. He slept right through it. The first alarm was when he went to his dad and he said, you know what? I don't even like you anymore. I don't want to be around you anymore. I'm okay if you're dead right now. Just give me my money so I can get out of here. It was one of the worst things a kid could have ever done to his dad. That didn't wake him up. He goes and he does all of his wild living and he completely runs out of money. That didn't wake him up. He's broke. That didn't wake him up. A famine hits the land. Do you see what's happening? Like a famine hits the land. He's got nothing. He's broke. A famine hits the land. And yet that alarm didn't wake him up. Then he goes to work for a farmer pig sitting. Good Jewish boy out on a farm with a bunch of pigs. That didn't wake him up. He's just sleeping through all of these alarms that God put in his life to wake him up to the point that he was thinking about eating the pig food that finally the alarm woke him up. And I wonder how many of us in this place have been sleeping through the alarms that God has put in your life. There are things that people have been telling you that you've just blown off. There's something that your wife or your spouse has been telling you for weeks now and you just keep ignoring her. You need to listen. Because what happens is life gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And eventually when you're at rock bottom, that alarm is going to get your attention. But all along the way, God's going, hey, buddy, hey, listen, let me have that part too. Because it's leading you down down a path of destruction. Hey, listen, give me that. Give it to a friend. Help, like bring someone else into this thing so that they can help you with this. But we just keep it. We can keep it compartmentalized. No, 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 you don't, you don't get that part, God. I got this. And I just wonder, man, what are the alarms? We're singing these songs, and I wonder how often the conviction of Holy Spirit hits you, but you just blow it off. I wonder how often when you hear a message or, you, or, you, or maybe you're, you're, somebody reads a passage or you read a passage and it's jumping off the page at you and there's an alarm going off, there's an alarm sounding, but you just blow it off. We have to, we have to hear it. We have to respond to it. We have to do something about it. 
And it starts by being honest with yourself, being honest with God, and being honest with others. And some of you are, are, are somewhere along that journey. There's a, those three checkpoints. Some of you may have already begun this journey, and you're sitting at that place. Where you're like, I don't want to bring anybody else into this. I don't want to tell nobody. You have to. The way you get to healing is when you bring other people around you. And they help you. They help get you to a freedom class. They help get you into something that can make your life better. They get you into a small group. They get you doing life with other believers. And you get surrounded by people. Some of you guys, your small group is the best thing that could have ever happened to you. And this band of believers, this group of people that you begin doing life with, and after these eight weeks, that's not going to end it for you. You're like, man, these are my people. We're going to do life together. We're going to be real with each other. We're going to be open with each other. Because ultimately, we're going to help each other get to the Father's house fully, completely, with all that we are. The only way we get there is when we are fully honest and we take it to other people. Fully honest with ourselves, God, and we take it to other people. So here's what I want to do. I want to just ask you all to bow your head and close your eyes. I've got two things that I want to ask you because I believe there's, there's a group of people here. And I think a good majority of people here that have an area of your life that you're living independently from God, from the Father, that you've decided to try to make it happen on your own, that you're just not willing to give up. And I want to challenge you right now in this moment to surrender that compartment, that area, that sin, that dysfunction, or just that selfishness to God. I want you to make a commitment. We're all adults here. I think you in your own self right now can be real with yourself and go, all right, buddy, it's time to get this thing right. It's time to let it all go. It's time. When I get in the car today, I'm talking to my wife. When I'm at small group this week, I'm going to open up to a few of my brothers. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to get to this place where everything is out and I'm taking it all before him. And so I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. This is between you and God. I just want you right now in this moment to make a commitment. I'm going to be 100% honest with me, with God, and with the people around me that I trust, that I love. This is a you and, you and God commitment. This is a you and you commitment. And I'm just going to let you make it on your own. And here's the second thing, is I know and I believe there are people at every campus watching online at the correctional facilities that right now you would say either you are living a charade and you're so far from God's house, you're so far from the Father's house, you're just keeping this charade up, just hoping, hoping that no one's going to see through it, but your heart is fully disconnected from God. Or there's some of you that wandered in here, you were invited in here, and you realize, man, I've never been to the Father's house. I've never felt the embrace of the Father. And right now, I want to give you the opportunity to be embraced, to feel and know the embrace of the Father, to fully give your life to Him, to be open and honest with you, yourself, and eventually others. Maybe right after this service, I'll call you down, or the campus pastors will call you down. You can come down, and there'll be people here that just want... They just want to pray over you. They want to believe in you. They want, to, they want to get you off on the right foot. They want to start your journey off right. And it begins with you coming, you, you being in this place, being open and honest with them, 
We'll put a gift in your hand, a little resource to help you with this thing. But it's vital that in this moment, sitting right there, you're being real and you're going, yep, he's, he's talking to me, man. I need this. I need to know God today. I need to surrender. I need to give him all. And right now you're beginning to talk to God. You're going to go, okay, God, I don't know, man. This is big. This is huge. My grandma used to tell me about this. Or I've, I've, I've heard about this before. Or, man, 10 years ago, God, I know I just I screwed this thing up last time. But I want to do it right this time. I want to give you my all this time. And if that's you, I want to pray this very simple prayer with you, just with all of our heads still bowed. And before we pray, I just, I want to see a few hands. If there's anybody that says, yeah, this is me, I need to fully give my life to Christ. I want you just to slip your hand. No one's looking, just slip your hand up right now. And you say, man, I've been holding back way too much. I need to give him all of me. Every campus, every location, everybody raise your hands. Come on. If that's you, I see hands all over this room. Let's pray this prayer together. Everybody pray it. Those of you with your hands up, man, believe it down in your heart. And then whenever we dismiss, I want you to come to the front and tell somebody. And let us walk this journey with you. Pray this. Father, I want to come home. I confess my sin. I confess my selfishness. And I give 100% of it to you. I want to be honest. I want to be true with you. And give you my everything. Thank you for dying for me and my sin. I'm so grateful. And I love you so much. Bring me into your family that I can know your embrace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you guys help me? Let's welcome all of those to the family. Amazing. Thank you, guys.